this is the first podcast for the first unit in our people in business module. This first podcast will cover the topics of organizations and organizational behavior. What we want to do in this introductory unit is discuss fundamental concepts within the field of organizational behavior. Because our module is about people in business, because people are business, people make business and business is about people. So what we'll look at in this unit is the concepts of organization and organizational behavior to start out with. The rest of the unit looks at how we control the behavior of people in organizations. And we'll also look at the organization's environment in the context of human behavior. We'll start with an objective definition of an organization. Now you might ask yourself, why do I need a definition of an organization? Well, think to yourself, if I were to ask you to define an organization, how might you go about doing that? What do you think would be important? What would you need to include? What would you need to exclude? In academics, we like to use formal definitions because they help us to delineate exactly what we want to understand. It helps us understand what it is we are studying and what it is we are not studying. And it gives us a foundation for what concepts, elements, and dimensions we need to examine in order to better understand a phenomenon. So our formal academic definition of an organization comes from our textbook authors, Huzinski and Buchanan, and it goes like this. An organization is a social arrangement for achieving controlled performance in pursuit of collective goals. So you see, this definition gives us a number of components to help us understand what we mean when in the context of people in business, we're talking about an organization. It lets us know that organizations are about people interacting with each other because it is a social arrangement. The definition also points out to us that in order for an entity to exist as an organization, it must have some kind of a goal, a mission or a vision, and other objectives that it pursues collectively as a group. This definition also points out to us that an organization 
as structures, processes, and procedures. That is, control mechanisms that it uses in the process of attempting, pursuing, to achieve its goals and objectives. Generally speaking, we can say that organizations are artifacts. Here again, we see the aspect of people coming into organizations. An artifact is a term you may have heard in the context of archaeology. Artifacts are things that are created by humans and serve some sort of cultural purpose. They do not occur in nature. So organizations are something that humans put together, conceptualize, create, and use. Organizations are goal-directed. They must have some kind of an objective, some purpose in order to function as an organization and in order to bring people together in the organization. Organizations are social entities. People come together through the organization and interact with each other for the benefit and in the framework of the organization. Organizations have structured activities. The structured activities are designed towards the pursuit of the goals of the organization. And organizations also have nominal boundaries. That means we can define and delineate who belongs to the organization, who the organization interacts with, where does the organization begin and end, and how does it de define itself and identify itself and differentiate itself from its external environment. Now, even though organizations are created to serve a purpose, that does not mean that everyone has the same goals or even that everyone is aware of the, of the goals that the organization has. The human activities of the organization are deliberately structured and coordinated to achieve the organization's purpose or goals. So this definition of organizations does not cover less formal types of social gatherings of groups of people. So groups that come together randomly or that occur in some way through nature. Groups, uh, organizations have some kind of intentional composition. But in defining what and who is part of the organization, we must also remember that it is not completely sealed off from its environment. So now I'm going to bring you to a thinking point. What is an organization? I have a list of organizations that I would like you to take a moment and consider which of these you would say, according to our definition, can be deemed an organization. So listen closely, here's your list. The Asda supermarket chain, 
the Hamilton Axes Football Club. A group of people in a lift. A local gang. A local volunteer group. And a group of people stuck in a lift. Which of those would you say, according to our definition, is an organization? According to the components, the aspects that are defined in this formal academic definition. The ASDA supermarket chain, the Hamilton Axis Football Club, a group of people in a lift, a local gang, a local volunteer group, and a group of people stuck in a lift. Take a moment to think about that. You can pause the podcast while you think. So now I'll let you know which of the entities in the list I gave you before for your thinking point would not be considered an organization. The only two in the list that would not be considered an organization are the group of people in a lift and the group of people stuck in a lift. So I'll give you a moment to think about why those two are not considered organizations. If you remember, in our definition, it stated that organizations are artifacts. They're created by people. They do not come together randomly and they serve some kind of purpose. Now, even though each individual in that lift has the purpose of either going up or down, they do not collectively have an objective that they are pursuing together, despite the fact that they may be going to the same floor. The group of people stuck in a lift may have the collective objective of getting out of the lift, and they may organize themselves in some way to pursue that goal. However, nevertheless, this group of people have come together randomly and not with intention and purpose. And the group that they are in does not consist of structured control mechanisms or formal control mechanisms, even though in that situation, they might attempt to put together some structure in order to get out of the lift. So that's it for our first podcast. In the next podcast, we'll look at the subject of organizational behavior as a field. This is the second podcast in our first unit for people in business. The topic of this podcast is organizational behavior. This is part of our introduction to the unit for people in business. 
So let's start with a definition of organizational behavior. Organizational behavior addresses both individual and group behavior. It's about human behavior. So a formal academic definition is offered to us by Robbins and Judge, who have authored a solid textbook about organizational behavior that you can also refer to in deepening your studies. So their definition of organizational behavior goes like this. Organizational behavior is the field of study that investigates the impact that individuals, groups, and structures have on behavior within organizations with the purpose of applying such knowledge toward improving an organization's efficiency and effectiveness. Again, this formal academic definition provides us with components to help us understand what it is we use and need in order to understand what organizational behavior focuses on and which components we need to study in more depth to better understand the purpose of studying organizational behavior. Organizational behavior is the study and practice of how to manage individual and group behavior in businesses, in government, and in nonprofit or third sector settings. The field provides perspectives on a number of areas such as motivation, communication, group dynamics such as power, politics, culture, as well as other matters and aspects of human interaction within organizational frameworks. Organizational behavior is a systematic study of formal organizations and of what people think, feel, and do in and around organizations. So you see here why we needed the formal definition of organization in order to better understand organizational behavior. We needed to understand what exactly is a formal organization. Organizational behavior studies the embedded, the wider social, cultural, and institutional fabric of society. It is derived from a variety of disciplines and includes the study not only of positive forms of human behavior, but also more difficult and complex aspects of human behavior, such as conflict and resistance to change. Organizational behavior as a field of study comprises an interdisciplinary body of knowledge that is concerned with how formal organizations, the behavior of people, and salient features of their context and environment evolve and take shape. It's concerned with why things happen the way they do. Why do phenomena occur? 
Why do group dynamics occur? Why does individual behavior occur? What are the sources? What are the intentions? What is the purpose? What is the meaning? Organizations in and of themselves as entities do not behave, so to speak. This name for the field, organizational behavior, is shorthand for the activities and interactions of people in organizations, people in businesses, people in government, people in third sector entities. Organizational behavior provides us with a broader view of people in organizations and controlling, structuring, driving, shaping the behavior of people in organizations. And because an exclusive focus on management is generally unhelpful as it is too narrow, organizational behavior can cover areas such as power inequalities, personal and subject agendas. It also takes into account multiple stakeholders in the environment of an organization. Another reason why an exclusive focus on management is unhelpful for understanding people in business and human behavior in organizations is because management literature often is quite trendy and focuses on the latest buzzwords, the latest trends. And so this kind of management literature tends to become the victim of fashion. So organizational behavior is a scientific study of human behavior in organizations and is interdisciplinary in that it combines knowledge from fields such as psychology, sociology, philosophy, economics. It involves the systematic study of attitudes and behaviors of people in organizations. This means it's attempting to establish cause and effect based on scientific evidence. It contrasts with thinking based on common sense and intuition. Management is often considered an elite occupational group with access to information and resources that are not available to others and therefore contains a narrow range of issues perceived of importance only to managers or only to this elite group and concerned with control and performance. There are other issues that are significant to individuals and groups and through management literature can be potentially pushed off the agenda. And so management is only one social group within the entire spectrum of organizational behavior one group in organizations that have a stake in the behavior. Understanding this is of value to other stakeholders, for example, employees, customers, investors, and the community. As mentioned before, exclusively focusing on management leads us to the temptation of following the latest thinking and technique in the interest of improving personal and organizational performance. So organizational behavior studies complex active processes in which people participate formally and informally within organizations 
and in ways that are shaped by organizational roles and power. Some of the influential factors of organizational behavior include individual factors, group factors, structural factors, process factors, management factors, organizational effectiveness, and quality of work-life balance. All of these can have an influence on the organization's past, present, and future. In looking at these components more closely, individual factors that impact organizational behavior can include things like lack of training or problems with learning, problems with skills, people who are not suited for their work, personality problems, behavioral problems, or motivational problems that may arise from boring or unchallenging jobs. Group factors that can impact organizational behavior have to do with teamwork, whether or not teams are cohesive or have gelled well, whether or not they are efficient and effective together as a group. Other group factors might include group dynamics in a way that some individuals may be excluded, other individuals may be dominant, there might be issues of coordinating work, other issues that have to do with a lack of training, supervision, or even things like pay inequalities. Some other factors as the structural factors that impact organizational behavior include things like bureaucratic structures that can be slow and lead to issues being resolved slowly. Other structural problems would be work allocation issues or role conflict, as well as difficulties arising through chain of command and responsibilities of managers. Process factors comprise issues such as communication, conflict resolution, conflicts with other units within the organization. Process factors can also include cultural issues, that is, norms of behavior, ways of working that are taken for granted or that have underlying assumptions. Other processes may be more closely tied to things like human resources management, such as lack of individual incentives to motivate employees, training, pay, rewards, etc. Management factors that can impact organizational behavior include things like leader behavior or manager behavior, autocratic behavior, behavior that is uh, too controlling, decision-making processes, that can be pursued without consultation of other members of the organization. Management factors can also have to do with how the managers deal with conflict or don't deal with conflict. So there's a number of issues around management that have to do with leadership and some that would have to do with strict processes. 
And so with the field of organizational behavior, academics are looking to address these issues and improve future outcomes. Organizational behavior is about both individual behavior and group behavior. So in looking at this, we know that individuals will have different personalities and will have other kinds of individual differences and characteristics that create a diverse workforce. Individuals also have differing perceptions different ways of communicating. Individuals will also differ in their work motivation and job satisfaction, in their approach to learning. And group behavior will have to do with group dynamics, the nature of work in teams, and the process of working in groups and teams, and how people interact with each other Some examples of individuals and groups within organizational behavior include personality, cultural differences, needs and expectations at work, learning styles, the nature of work in teams as informal and informal group interactions, working in groups and teams such as the roles that individuals take on in groups. That sums up our introductory look at the field of organizational behavior and how it studies human behavior in organizations. The next podcast in this series will look at controlling people's behavior in organizations. This is the third podcast in unit one of the module People in Business. We've now covered the topics of what an organization is and what organizational behavior is. Now we're going to look more closely at organizational behavior and how organizations attempt to control, drive, and shape organizational behavior of the people in their organizations. So we start by considering what we call organizational interventions which are attempts to control organizational behavior. Some examples of organizational intervention include staff training and development programs. This is an attempt by the organization to control employee knowledge and skills. Psychometric assessment is an attempt to control organizational behavior by looking at the types of people who are employed and assessing individual differences in order to make recruitment decisions. 
or in order to make other decisions about job roles. Employee communication as an organizational intervention is an attempt to shape employees' understanding of and compliance with management-inspired goals. Job redesign is an intervention specific to human resources management that is an attempt to shape and drive employee motivation. Team building is an intervention that is meant to increase levels of team cohesion and improve levels of team performance. Reorganization or structural change is an organizational intervention that is often large scale and attempts to control organizational behavior by improving its ability to respond to external circumstances or turbulence in the external environment or to adjust to changes that are going on in their external environment. The same is true of organizational change and development initiatives. However, in this case, this is an attempt to increase the speed of change as well as reduce levels of conflict and resistance within the organization and among organizational members. Organizational cultural change can be considered a large-scale and in-depth change of the way things are done within an organization. This is an attempt to control the values, attitudes, beliefs, and goals that are shared by management and its employees. Human resources management was considered a process or a strategic function in an organization can also be considered an organizational intervention intended to control organizational behavior in terms of employee performance. And finally, leadership style is an organizational intervention that is meant to improve commitment to an overarching vision or to shape that commitment, that understanding of the overarching vision of the organization. You'll notice that a lot of these interventions that are meant to shape or control organizational behavior has some kind of relationship to management. As we have stated earlier, management has to do with specific roles within the organization and with specific ways of controlling what goes on in the organization. So in order to gain a deeper understanding of the theoretical foundation to organizational behavior, we'll take note that this is shaped by organizational goals and management approaches. So we're going to have a look now at four major approaches to management that have developed historically and evolved historically. These include the classical approach, the human relations approach, a systems approach, and a contingency approach. The classical approach 
lays its emphasis on purpose and formal structure as well as hierarchy of management in the organization as well as technical requirements and common principles of organization. The human relations approach pays much more attention to social factors at work, leadership processes, and the informal organization and behavior of people within the organization. The systems approach has the characteristic of integrating the classical and human relations approaches. It emphasizes the importance of socio-technical systems and the organization within its external environment. The contingency approach to management takes the stance that there is no one best design of an organization. There is no one best form, structure, management approach, and the success of an organization will be dependent on a range of situational variables or contingencies. Now we'll have a look at each one of these approaches in a bit more detail. In the classical period, most managers and writers on management in the early 20th century focused on simply controlling workers and manipulating their environment. The goal was to maximize efficiency and productivity. People were primarily viewed as extensions of their tools and machines, or as cogs in the machine, if you will. And it was assumed that workers found work to be unpleasant and would do what they were told only because they were feared punishment or feared being fired if they did not. So this approach takes a very narrow and mechanistic view of work and of people's behavior in organizations. The human relations approach to management wasn't developed following the classical period is associated with the human relations school of management theory. Findings from this period signal a fundamental shift in how employee behavior was understood. It explores the effects of social relations, of human emotion, and human interaction in understanding behavior. So it takes a more psychological and sociological view of organizational behavior. One example of studies that were conducted in this school was the Hawthorne studies, or the Hawthorne experiments. The Hawthorne experiments showed that human behavior within organizations and human motivation is very complex. They found that people change their behavior when they know they are being observed. And they concluded that human relationships including relationships with the researchers, influence the behavior of workers. Human relations theory of management began developing in the early 1920s during the Industrial Revolution. At that time, productivity was the focus of business as in the classical period. And this is when Professor Elton Mayo began his Hawthorne studies or the Hawthorne experiments 
to prove the importance of people and their behavior for productivity, not only machines' importance. Human relations management theory is a research belief that people desire to be part of a supportive team. They desire to be part of social interaction that facilitates development and growth. As such, if employees receive special attention, they will feel encouraged to participate and they perceive their work as having more significance, which will in turn make them more motivated to be productive and in turn resulting in high quality work or high performance. This human relations management theory became evident during the human relations study. Individual attention and recognition aligns with the human relations theory and many theorists support the motivational theory. Next, we move on to a further evolution of management approaches called the systems theory. Systems theory was derived from a science of systems that attempts to understand the organization as a complex entity of interrelated parts. So in systems theory, there's an understanding that the organization is a system that can either be closed or open, but most approaches treat an organization as an open system. Open systems interact with its environment by way of inputs, throughputs, and outputs, and consists of three essential elements. The organization receives resources, such as equipment, natural resources, and the work of employees, referred to as inputs. The inputs are transformed, called throughputs, and then yield products or services called outputs. Outputs are released into the environment. Feedback loops are also important, and they provide information by connecting the inputs to the outputs. Negative feedback loop indicates that a problem should be corrected. For example, failure of product design that needs to be recalled. Next, we'll look at contingency theory. This theory argues that what will work best in an organization will depend on contingent factors, such as the size of the organization and the technology it uses. The contingency approach to management finds its foundation in contingency theory of leadership effectiveness, which was developed by the management psychologist Fiedler, and is based on a theory that management effectiveness is contingent or dependent upon the interplay between the application of management behaviors and specific situations. Therefore, the way you manage should change depending on circumstances and one size does not fit all. McGregor's Theory X and Theory Y is another interesting theory that is related to these. Theory X is based on the assumptions of people being lazy, uninvolved, and motivated solely by money, and actually causes people to behave in a manner consistent with those expectations. You might recognize this attitude as being related to the classical approach to management. 
Theory Y suggests a more optimistic and humanistic view of people, emphasizing the inherent worth of individuals and organizations, which you could say is more akin to the human research human research resource approach to management. McGregor's Theory X and Theory Y is a simple reminder of the natural rules for managing people, which under pressure of day-to-day businesses are all too easily forgotten. Many managers tend towards Theory X and generally get poor results. Some researchers claim that managers who use Theory Y will produce better performance and results and allow people to grow and develop. McGregor's ideas significantly relate to modern understanding of the psychological contract, which provides many ways to appreciate the unhelpful nature of Theory X leadership and the useful, constructive, beneficial nature of Theory Y leadership. We'll now have a quick look at leadership practices and expectations. This model that we are looking at comes from Kuzas and Posner in their book, The Leadership Challenge. They produced a model of leadership that looked at five specific components of leadership. They found that leaders exhibit certain behaviors that produce more effective results. These are enabling others to act, modeling the way, inspiring a shared vision, challenging the process, and encouraging the heart. Modeling the way has to do with walking the talk and being a role model to others within the organization. This encourages positive modeling of the leader behaviors and positive following among organizational members. Enabling other to acts encourages the development of goals and performance objectives and encourages personal growth within organizational members. Inspiring a shared vision has to do with being able to communicate effectively both within and outside the organization and using communication to help people connect the dots and see how their values and goals align with the values and goals of the organization. Encouraging the heart means to encourage the highest level of creativity and innovation, designing opportunities for other participants in the organization carefully assessing the progress of the group in the organization and developing and exemplifying the highest moral and ethical standards. So that's it for this segment of Unit 1 about controlling organizational behavior. In our next segment, we'll be looking at the organization's environment. part four in our first unit on people in business in our first unit the introductory unit on organizational behavior the topic of this podcast 
is the organizational environment. It's important to understand about organizations that they do not exist in a vacuum. That means we can't study what goes on inside an organization without understanding how it's embedded in a context and in an external environment. It also means that we need to take into account the internal environment of the organization and how it interacts with its external environment. For an organization to be able to survive, it must take its external environment into consideration. The external environment will be influenced by a number of factors and trends and developments. And these aspects of the external environment can and often will lead to changes in the organization's internal environment. The organization consists of organizational structures, processes, and behaviors which are influenced by factors, trends, and development in the external environment. There are a number of key factors that influence the external environment of organizations. Those key influential factors include information technology and communication technology and technology in general, globalization as a major trend, economically, and social and demographic changes that go on both within a local society as well as on a global scale. Now we'll take a closer look at each of these factors individually. We'll start with the first factor of information technology and technology, communication technology, etc. Now all of us are influenced by information technology and communication technology. Even as adults, middle-aged adults, we've experienced all kinds of technological change in our lifetimes. Younger people are growing up using these technologies that have only come into existence since we've been alive. Technological change can encompass developments in communication and transportation, for example. And these changes push globalization. The fact that we've made huge advances in communication technology, the internet and other telecommunications revolutions, as well as transport, transport technology, has caused the globe to shrink and has made the world a big place, even a smaller place in some ways. And this influx of information and this height and speed and frequency and volume of the exchange of information tends to make markets more competitive. So these are factors and trends that organizations need to understand and respond to uh, this 
huge increase in exchange of information, volume of information, accessibility to information, also makes it important for organizations to understand this is responsive to the consumers. So we have a few examples here of some changes that we see in the transport technology. For example, in the 60s, a jet aircraft had an average speed of 500 to 700 miles per hour. Nowadays, aircraft will be even faster and if you have been following the news around Thomas Cook and Flybee and some of the other trends in holiday and travel transportation, you'll have noticed that there's been also a huge increase in the demand for normal working people to go on holidays and to travel the world. In fact, some communities such as Edinburgh and even the entire country of Holland are having major concerns about over-tourism. Next, we'll look a little bit closer at some other IT and technology factors related to communication technology. Due to changes in communication technology, some people might not even need to travel anymore. Making phone calls has become quite a lot cheaper on landlines, and some people have even discontinued the use of landlines completely. We can use video conferencing over the internet, uh, we can make phone calls over the internet, and we can even do this now with uh, more satellite technology and communication, we can do this on the go. We don't actually need to be sitting somewhere where we have a physical communication line. And this penetration of the internet has been increasing at a high rate over the last couple of decades. So even though there may still be a few patches somewhere in the United Kingdom that have poor or little internet connectivity, and there will be larger patches in more developed, developing countries. Nevertheless, the internet has fundamentally changed the shape of our communications and therefore also the way we do business. That leads us to the second factor of globalization. We can understand globalization through the definition provided by the IMF World Economic Outlook. The growing interdependence of countries worldwide through the increasing volume and variety of cross-border transactions and goods and services and of international capital flows and also through the more rapid and widespread diffusion of technology is what we can understand globalization to be. So we can see there are a number of characteristics related to globalization. Globalization makes us more interdependent on the economies and the politics of other countries. It also has led to increasing volumes of international trade. 
as well as the flow of international monies. In addition, a more rapid and widespread diffusion of goods and services and technology throughout the globe so that even a small business person in the middle of a Scottish island could be selling their products to somebody sitting on the other side of the world. There are three intricately related phenomena that divide our global society today. One of these phenomena is globalization itself, the extension of political, social, and economic relations around the globe. The second is complexity, which is in some ways also a byproduct of globalization, and in some ways a separately developing phenomenon in and of itself. So you see this increase in exchange, the increase in volume, the increase in speed is making our global environment and our business environment more and more complex. The third factor is connectedness, the capacity for groups and organizations around the world to connect with one another. So these are the three phenomena that define our global society today. We'll now look at the third factor influencing the organizational environment, which was demographics. Demographics has to do with the shape of society. The word demo, or the word root demo, has to do with people, as in democracy is the rule of the people. Demographics has to do with the the shape of our society. For example, we have seen a trend in Western and developed countries towards an aging population. What that means is that there are more and more people who are over the age of 50, over the age of 60, people are living longer lives, and that puts a certain amount of strain on economic systems that may not be ideally set out to manage pensions with the existing labor force. So as more and more people are leaving the labor force, we have fewer and fewer younger people flowing into the labor force. And that's how we see an aging population emerge because fewer and fewer people are also having fewer and fewer babies which means the birth a low birth rate and a longer life expectancy are creating this aging population and that's a major factor in demographics this affects the labor market and it affects for example recruitment processes it also has an impact on consumer behavior so in that way it's a factor that organizations need to respond to uh, both in how they recruit and promote people, their attitudes towards who they want to recruit, and also who they are marketing their products to and how they're marketing those products. Wars, improvements to transportation and communication has also led to increased migration. That means more and more countries are experiencing a larger influx of people from foreign countries seeking work and seeking to settle as immigrants. 
This, in turn, leads to a more diverse workforce, again adding to the complexity of the organization's internal and external environments. And that requires the organizations to manage diversity, to manage the diversity of values, needs, and preferences among their employees. We also can observe an increasing divide between skilled workers or knowledge workers and unskilled or underpaid labor. Changes in lifestyle and values in society are also leading to changes in patterns of living, consumption and preferences and working patterns. Changes in social values and ecological awareness are another factor that can be categorized under demographics. And just to give you an example of what some of these look like, you may have heard about something called the gig economy with companies like Uber or even the gig economy that exists in higher education, zero hours contracts. Other changes in lifestyle or in social values could be attributed to a trend in veganism. You may have heard or seen more and more products, especially this January, around uh, vegan options from grocery stores and restaurants being on offer. And this is a response to that external environment associated with demographics and changes in social values. And who could not know about Greta Thunberg and her quest to raise ecological awareness and how that may actually be shaping society. Another way to look at an organization's environment is through a tool called the pestle analysis. A pestle analysis is a useful framework for analyzing an organizational uh, or a, a specific organization's environment. The analysis uh, is named after the acronym for its elements, P-E-S-T-L-E. The political environment, has to do with stability or lack of political stability in the home or host country of an organization. And this will also be associated with the ruling government, their policies, with political ideology, with war, civil unrest, terrorism, interest groups, um, policies and activities, etc. in the political realm. E stands for economic factors or the economic environment. Uh, room for growth of market share and customer base is an aspect to be analyzed. Growth patterns, competitor behavior, supplier behavior, uh, prices for raw materials, currency exchange rates, taxation, and trends in wages will all be associated with the economic factor. The S stands for social, as in what we just spoke about before, about demographics. So social factors or the social environment has to do with demographics, health, education, lifestyle preferences, social values, attitudes to work, but also things like trends in discrimination or attitudes towards uh, specific cultural and subcultures, uh, subcultural groups in society, 
labor mobility and skills availability in the market. The T stands for technological. That means innovation, new products, new facilities, and new materials that flow into the market, that flow into the environment and change the way we do things. Computing, uh, engineering innovations, things like trends in internet trading, new production methods, new processes, innovation in manufacturing and transport will all be under this category. Then we have L, the legal environment. Obviously, regulations to protect businesses will have an impact on the way we do business, as well as regulations that will constrain organizations in their activity. Specific laws, such as immigration laws, legislation and taxation, international law, trade agreements, and human rights concerns would all fall into this category. And the final E is ecological or environmental concerns. So this will have to do with organizations needing to respond to reducing pollution or responding to pollution or spill crises, toxic emissions, regulations concerning specific techniques in the market, such as genetic modification of food, hazard prevention, and even noise pollution. So that sums up the PESTLE analysis as a useful tool for analyzing the factors that impinge on organizations in terms of their external environment and what organizations need to respond to. So as a final note to leave you in this podcast, I'll let you go away with a question. Why is it crucially important for an organization to understand its environment and how it needs to adapt to it. So that's something you can think about when you're driving your car or, or cooking your dinner or waking up in the morning, whenever the best time is for you to think and carry that question with you as you engage with the rest of the material for this unit. That's it for our fourth podcast in Unit 1 of People in Business, Our Introduction to Organizations and Organizational Behavior.